he had said these things to her. This is God's word. Amen. I want to invite you to have a seat. And our preschoolers, y'all can be dismissed to your class with your teachers. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. We'll be in John 20, specifically in verses 11 through 18. We'll be looking at different parts of the entire account from John of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Any kids who are left in the room or any teenagers or any adults that struggle to pay attention, here's something we used with Jude last week that was decently helpful. Um, We were like, hey, listen to Pastor Avery as he preached, and anytime he says someone's name, we're going to write it down. All right. Anytime you hear a name, just write the name down. And then we, we made tallies. And then as I was going through it, I was like, you know, this is a decent way to evaluate Avery's preaching. How many times did he say Jesus, you know, and all that? And it's like, Jesus won by a lot, okay, last week. It was, it was wonderful. Peter was close. Peter was close, but, but Jesus he won. So if that's, if that's something that may help, uh, we, we tried that last week, and uh, it worked decent for us. Looks like he's off to a great start this morning um, with it. Um, so uh, we are in John chapter 20. We have been walking through a sermon series over the past few weeks, looking at some of the most important questions that Jesus asked throughout his earthly ministry. And Friday night, our Good Friday service, we looked at one of the last questions that Jesus asked before his death. And this morning, we're going to finish the series by looking at one of the first questions Jesus asked after his resurrection. And it's a question he's asking to each one of us this morning. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? This is a simple but very invasive question from Jesus because he is pinpointing and penetrating our deepest hopes and desires in life in asking this question, whom are you seeking? And as we encounter this question in John 20, this is actually the third time in the Gospel of John Jesus asked this question. The first time actually occurred back in John 1, right after John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. After that, two of John's disciples, they were with him. And when they heard uh, John say this, they turned and started to follow after Jesus. And Jesus, sensing that they were behind him, he turned. And before they could you know, take too many steps in his direction, he turned toward them. And he said, or he asked, What are you seeking in wanting to follow me? And they essentially answer, we seek you, and we wish to follow you. The second time that Jesus asked this question was at his arrest. Judas, if you remember Judas, the disciple who betrayed him, um, a band of soldiers and some of the officers from the chief priests, they approach Jesus with torches and weapons, and they have this like little mob that's formed. And when Jesus saw them, he turned to them and he asked, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied to them, I am he. And now a third time. Mary Magdalene, the once demon-possessed, turned devoted follower of Jesus, is weeping at an empty tomb. And she has come to this place to grieve at the burial site of her Lord. And she has come to weep over his body, and yet there is no body in the tomb. Two angels appear to her in her grief, and they asked her why she was weeping, and she replied, They have taken away my Lord, 
and I do not know where they have laid him. And then she turned and she saw Jesus and she didn't know it was him, but he looked at her and he asked her, whom are you seeking? Now in each of these contexts that Jesus asked this question, especially this last one, he is actually asserting more than he's asking. He asserts each time to eager followers, a zealous mob, and to a weeping disciple, I am he. I am the one your heart is truly seeking. And so what I want us to do this morning is just sit with this question from Jesus. And I want us to see why the resurrection of Jesus matters so much in giving an answer to this question. And what I hope we'll see together is that the resurrection of Jesus is the definitive answer to the deepest desires and longings of our hearts. Whatever or whoever it is that we are currently seeking, Jesus stands alive outside his tomb and he says, I am he. So let's make three observations of this passage to see why the resurrection is our deepest answer to our deepest desires. First, first observation, we're going to see what we are seeking, what we are seeking. Second, who we find, and third, what we receive. What we're seeking, who we find, and what we receive. First, what we're seeking. Now, other than Jesus, John's account, here in John chapter 20, his account of the resurrection surprisingly focuses on a woman, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a devoted follower of Jesus. She's right here with Peter and John. You notice it. The, the disciples, of all the disciples Jesus had, who are the ones that are, that are going to the tomb? It's, it's Mary Magdalene. She goes back and gets Peter and John. So it's the three of them who are, who are coming to the tomb at this point. And Mary was such a devoted follower of Jesus because Jesus had radically transformed her life. Her deep love for Jesus was, was a perfect match for the deep grace that Jesus had shown her. As, as I said earlier, at one time she was possessed, Luke tells us, actually by seven demons. But Jesus healed her, and she followed him from that moment forward. She followed Jesus in the same exact way that Peter did and that John did and the other disciples. And after Jesus' death, here on the first day of the week, she has come to Jesus' tomb to grieve. But when she arrived, she's met with a surprise. She notices that the stone that was guarding the entrance of the tomb had been rolled away. The stone had been moved. And so as soon as she sees this, she immediately runs back to Peter and John, and she tells them what she assumed had to be true. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Three times she says this. What a traumatic truth that was imprinted on her mind. They have taken the body of our Lord. They have taken him. We don't know where he is. And so at this point, Peter and John decide not just to go back to the tomb. They decide to have themselves a little track meet. You know, John, the way he tells the story, they race to the tomb and they leave Mary in the dust. Um, John won the race, by the way. Um, you know how we know? He told us. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the strangest, just most comical detail I think I've ever read in the Gospels where, where John emphasizes that he got there first. And he refers to that disciple as the other disciple because he didn't want to seem too arrogant, I guess. It's like, well, I mean, I don't want to put my own name in here. But, yeah, he, he, he won. John, John won the race. 
um, you know, when, when you're telling the story, you have the right to boast in your speed if, if that's the case, you know. Um, now, back to the story. John gets there first, um, and he looks inside the tomb, and he sees the clothes that they had buried Jesus in. And then Peter, after he arrived, slowly, I might add, when he gets there, he then goes into the tomb. And when he gets there, he sees the clothes, and he also saw the face cloth, and, and he noticed that it had been neatly folded and placed to the side. And so at this moment, they realize that Mary's words are true. Her assumption is, is most likely true. Someone had obviously taken the body. Grave robbers. They had come and they had stolen the body. And so at this moment, they, they just go home. What, what else can we do? They go home. And the focus of the story shifts, and it focuses primarily on Mary at this point. Because, you know, after Mary arrived, probably a few minutes later than the track star disciple, um, she lingered. She stayed. She didn't go home. She looked again. She'd already seen the stone rolled away. She already knew what was probably true. And Peter and John confirmed it. They're on the way back. And I'm sure they were racing on the way back. And it's like, hey, he's not there. You were right. She knows that. But she stays. She looks in again, and she cries. And with tears streaming down her face, John tells us that she stooped down to look inside the tomb, and she sees it's confirmed. It is empty. He's not there. And it's at this moment, by herself, two angels appear on the scene. And they approach Mary in her intense grief, and they ask her, Woman, why are you weeping? I'm sure she'd love to hear that. (laughs) What are you crying for? (laughs) You know? But they ask her, why, why are you weeping? And again, this, 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 most likely this trauma that comes back to her head, she says the same thing again. She tells them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary Magdalene is doing something here that each and every one of us does in the depths of our hearts. She is seeking. She is seeking, and she is longing, and she is desiring. And what is Mary seeking at Jesus' tomb? What's she looking for? Well, many things, but mainly she's looking for a corpse. She's seeking a body. That's what she's looking for. She's looking for Jesus, yes, but not a living, breathing Jesus. That's not what she has in her mind. She's looking for the body of her Lord. They have laid him somewhere else, she says. That's what she's seeking. She's looking for a memory, an opportunity to grieve what was. You know how it is. A loved one dies, and you visit, you visit their burial site. You visit, you visit their grave. And why, why do we do that? We're not going to have a conversation with someone. We do, we do that for the sake of memory. We do it for the sake of grief. We come, and we see their name on the stone, and we remember. And we're there, and we know that their body is there. Well, his body is not there. And so she's seeking what... She's grieving what was, what could have been, and what's been lost. And Mary Magdalene, much like Peter and John, never expected resurrection. Never expected. It was not on her radar. And she likely knew that Jesus, of course, would one day be raised, just like all the saints of old would be raised to eternal life. But that day was not today. As far as she knew, today was not the day of resurrection and life. Today was the day for death. And grief. But beneath her quest for a body was really a quest for hope. It was a quest for happiness. 
for meaning, for comfort in life. She had, listen, Mary Magdalene, she had staked her whole life, her entire life on Jesus being who he said he was. She staked her whole life on Jesus being her Savior and Messiah. He had changed her forever. But now that he's gone, she must have wondered if anything had really changed after all. If he wasn't who he said he was, is anything any different? She must have wondered what her life was going to be like now without her master. And and she, like many others, probably expected Jesus to overthrow the Romans and establish a kingdom on earth. But at minimum, she did not expect Jesus to leave her. And so she's weeping and she's seeking for hope, for happiness, for meaning, for comfort. We are all seeking for similar things. We're like Mary Magdalene here. We're all seeking hope and happiness, meaning, and comfort in life. We're all seeking for our lives to count for something. And we're seeking healing in one way or another. We all have desires and dreams and longings that we want met. And we may be seeking hope in a particular life circumstance. A new job or a spouse, I was going to say new spouse, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 we're not saying that. We're going to, uh, but maybe a spouse or, or children or financial security, someone got it, um, <laughs> or financial security. We seek it in particular life circumstances. We may be seeking hope in our health. You know, we think if we could just be physically or mentally or emotionally healthier, then we would finally just be okay. We would be okay then. And maybe, maybe, like Mary Magdalene, we could be seeking hope in Jesus. But our expectations of Jesus, like hers, are a little bit off. Mary is still seeking answers from Jesus. You notice this? This is why she's at the grave. She's still seeking what she needs from Jesus. But she's doing it through grieving his death. Some of us have, you know, probably had an experience with Jesus or his church at one time that that may have changed our lives for the good. But right now, we just feel cold. We feel distant. We feel abandoned. And we feel alone. And so we, we sort of feel shortchanged. We're seeking Jesus, but we're approaching him as if He is still dead because that's how we feel. And we may have come to Jesus seeking him to answer a specific prayer in a specific way or to change a specific circumstance in our lives, but nothing has changed. So we're seeking. No matter how you feel this morning, no matter where you are spiritually, I know that you are seeking. I know you're seeking hope and happiness and meaning in your life. And I know that you may even be looking for it in Jesus, but you just aren't sure what that really means. I want you to know a few things about that seeking. First, I want you to know that that seeking is good. It is good to seek. God created us this way. He created us to be seekers. He created us to long for another world. As one theologian, Jonathan Edwards, he once said, God has stamped eternity on our eyeballs. He has implanted eternity in our hearts. God has created us to long for hope and for happiness that is not of this world. And this seeking is good. And your seeking is is not just good, it's also natural. Because we live in a world 
that is full of wars and violence, of sickness and suffering, of divorce and dying. Our world is a world of decay. So it is natural for us to seek hope and happiness because the things of earth can only provide so much of either. But one thing we cannot ignore is the fact that our seeking is also most likely misguided and wrong. We all have this inner compass, but it is usually calibrated in the wrong direction. We want to head north, we, we think we're heading north, but, but the compass of our hearts is not calibrated to true north. And so we seek hope and happiness in flawed sources. Or even if we seek hope in Jesus, our expectations of Jesus are flawed, just like Mary's. And so hope eludes us, and we keep seeking. But the truth remains, like Mary Magdalene at the tomb on this Sunday morning, we are all seeking. So the question, what are you seeking? And where are you seeking it? What we seek. second thing we need to observe here is who we find. Who we find. Now remember... Mary here, she's seeking a corpse. She's seeking a corpse. She's come to the tomb to grieve, found the tomb empty. And what happens next is really interesting because neither Mary nor Peter nor John thought back to Jesus' multiple predictions that he would take his life back. Seeing the empty tomb did not bring Mary joy. Because it could have. They could have, as soon as they saw the tomb empty, they could have been like, oh, you remember that one thing he said? How he was, how he was going to come you think that happened? You think that happened here? That could have happened. It wasn't even a possibility. They went home. They didn't even want to mull it over, you know? It was obvious someone had stolen the body. That theft was assumed. Now, after her encounter with the angels, Mary turned and saw a man approaching her. And she had no idea who he was. But he approached her and he asked her two questions. Why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? And we see it here in verses 14 through 16. We'll, start, uh, we'll go to verse 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Man, we need to see the power of our assumptions and preconceived notions here. Oh my goodness. Mary is so convinced that Jesus is dead, so convinced that he's dead. And she's so convinced of the impossibility of resurrection that even though she's looking Jesus directly in the face, she couldn't recognize him. She couldn't recognize him because she knew it couldn't be Jesus. And she may have thought in her mind, that guy kind of looks like Jesus. What a cruel trick, you know? Kind of looks like him. But no way it's him. So she just assumes that he's the gardener, you know, just there to trim the bushes, you know, and he just happened upon the scene. And, you know, his question didn't even change her mind. He asked the same question the angels asked. And then, and then he takes it a step further and asks this really penetrating question and, and it doesn't, doesn't sway her at all. You know, she just hoped that this was an intro to a confession. You know, she's like, Listen, sir, if you took the body, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. So I won't tell anyone. I'm not going to rat you out. You know, you, you give me the body and we'll let bygones be bygones. We'll call it even. But then... We see Jesus do something that he always tends to do in responding with gentle compassion. He just simply looks at her and says, Mary, Mary. He speaks her name. You see, she had been seeking for Jesus 
in all the wrong ways and with all the wrong assumptions and all the wrong expectations. But despite all of that, here he is. She found him. And what I love about this is that nothing could change the fact that Jesus was alive. Nothing. Nothing could change that reality. Not Mary's flawed understanding, not ours. Not our ignorance, not our sin, not our idolatry, not our continued turning away from him, not our agreement or belief that he was actually raised from the dead or not. If you are, or leave this place and you're like, I don't think Jesus was raised from the dead or not, that does not change the fact that he is standing here and he was raised from the dead. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and now he's alive. Mary was dead wrong about Jesus. Her assumptions were wrong, her expectations were wrong, her seeking was misguided, her inner compass poorly calibrated, but she found what she was looking for anyway. How? Because what we really see here is in finding Jesus, Jesus found her. That's what we really see here. Jesus stands outside the tomb alive. And he says through the question, whom are you seeking? I am he. The risen Jesus is the one we are seeking. Whether we know it or not. The hope, the happiness, the deliverance, the healing, the peace, the love, and the acceptance that we're all seeking is found in a person. Not in a circumstance, not in good advice, not in a new way to live, but in a person. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything about our lives and about the world. And notice, in response to Mary's deep grief and desperate seeking, Jesus does not teach her a lesson. He does not preach a sermon. He does not offer a wise saying. He does not quote scripture. He offers himself. He is simply there. Mary, he says. It's the risen Jesus who has conquered sin and who has conquered death and who has conquered every evil thing, who stands before each of us today, just as he did Mary, and he says, whom are you seeking? I am the one. I am the one your heart is longing for. I am the answer to your longing for hope and happiness, acceptance and approval. In our seeking for hope and meaning in life, we are met not with a plan, not with good advice, but unexpectedly by a person whose death and resurrection has changed everything. He has literally upended the very fabric of the universe. He is the one in whom heaven has met earth. He is the one who has inaugurated an eternal kingdom. And in a strange way, Mary is actually right in calling him the gardener. He wasn't the gardener. He was Jesus. But in another sense, he is like a gardener. He has been risen to create order out of chaos through his resurrection has begun this new created order. And he has been raised to uproot all the thorns and the thistles of this world and to replace them with a bounty, a harvest. Mary tells Jesus that she is weeping. Why? Because they have taken away my Lord. And he responds by speaking her name. A question to you, in all of your seeking, in your seeking, what, why are you weeping today? What has been taken from you that has left you seeking? 
They have taken away my spouse. They have taken away my home. They have taken away my friends. They have taken away my job, my child, my hopes, my life. No matter how you would fill in that blank, the risen Jesus answers your grief with himself. And he calls you by name because he has found you. So come to Jesus. He is the one that you are seeking. The last thing we need to see, not just what we're seeking, not just who we find, but what do we receive? Seeking, finding, receiving. We're all seeking. The risen Jesus finds us. When he finds us, what do we receive? Three things we see in the passage. And we made a whole list this morning in equipping classes. That was The board was full of the stuff that we received. So just three of these things we see right here I want to focus on from the passage. Three things we receive. First, we receive an eternal family. I want you to notice what Jesus instructs Mary to do. So he says in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. For the first time, Jesus refers to his disciples as brothers. Through his resurrection, Jesus has created a new family. God is not just the Father or Jesus' Father. What does he say here? Go and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. He says to Mary, God is now our Father. That means when we are found by the risen Jesus, we receive the belonging and acceptance that we're looking for in all these different places on the earth that we've always wanted. We are adopted into an eternal family with God as our Father and fellow believers as brothers and sisters. So this is a unique thing we have here. And it gets lost, I, I think, in our cultural context, where a church is just like a lot of other organizations. It's just, like, it's just something you do. You join the country club, you, you join a church, you, know, you, you do some charity work. You just, it's just kind of a part of what you do. This is different, y'all. This is different. When we covenant together, we don't do it as business associates. We don't do it as shareholders. We do it as family. We are brothers and sisters. God is not just the Father. He is our Father. And it's because Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he creates this new reality, a new family. The second thing we receive, we receive a love that never dies. Unchanging, undying love. And it's, it's really simple here. He says that he is ascending not to God. What does he say? I'm ascending to my God and your God. We can now say that God is not just God, he is our God. This is, the reason this is important is it's covenant language. It's covenant language. It was used in the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, where, where the Lord said, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's used in the book of Revelation at the end. And on that day, God will be our God and we will be his people. It's covenant language. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new covenant relationship has begun. Everyone who finds or is found by Jesus enters into a new covenant where God is our God and we are his people. And this means that we receive 
the kind of love that we are seeking in all kinds of different places on this earth. And we're seeking it in sources that cannot provide it. We seek it in our, our spouses, in our friends, in our kids. We seek it all over the place. A love that never fails. A love that never dies. A love that never ends. And a love that never changes. That's what we receive through the resurrection of Jesus. And this love is as certain as God's own faithfulness. The risen Jesus stands as a guarantee of that love. And one more thing we receive. We receive an eternal family, a place to belong. We receive unchanging, undying love from God. And the last thing we receive, we receive an unshakable mission. What's the first thing that Jesus instructs Mary to do? Go and tell. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell them what you have seen. We are seeking so much meaning in our lives. And and we try to find it most of the time through our jobs. And and we think if we can be really successful, if we can be promoted, if we can advance, then then we'll be important and, and we'll be significant in the world. And that's really dangerous for us because if that's ever taken away from us, and it can be taken away, then we lose a core part of our identity. And we think that we no longer matter if, we, if we're not this really successful person in life. And you may be in here and you feel like an utter failure. And you look at your peers and you're like, man. And you see them on Instagram and Facebook and you're like, they just have it together. I am an absolute wreck. Look at me and the failure that I am. You don't understand the mission that God has given you. Is there a greater task in all the world than to witness to the truth that Jesus is alive? Think of the task that's in Mary's hands right now. Right now, Peter wasn't there. John wasn't there. They're racing. They're out. They're they're, they're racing, trying to see who's faster. John's beating Peter in these races out there, you know. Mary's here. At the tomb, she sees the risen Jesus, and she is given the mission. Go and tell them. The task that she has, the weight of it, the responsibility, how meaningful that is, how fulfilling that is for her to go and tell the other disciples, you want to know who I saw? We were wrong. The body is not missing. They haven't laid him somewhere else. He is risen. He is alive, and he has told me to come and tell you. That's the task that we have. Don't mistake it. Don't get, don't get weird about sharing the gospel with friends or telling other people about Jesus. That's the task. Telling them, witnessing to what Jesus has done. There is no greater task in all the world than to tell people that Jesus is alive, our sins can be forgiven, and our world has hope for future restoration. Listen, we we are all seeking hope and happiness and meaning in life. And all of that and more is found when we are found by Jesus. We receive innumerable blessings when we find Jesus. And how do we know that? How do we know? What's our assurance that our seeking will one day be satisfied? What assurance do we have that by placing our faith in Jesus, we will finally receive all that we have been longing for? What's our assurance? It's surprising. And a surprising source has the answer for us. It's Mary Magdalene. 
She tells us. She looks at us. And she says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, hear her words, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Because she saw the Lord, there is nothing in this world, not sickness, not suffering, not failure, not sin, not even death itself, that can rob you of the hope that you will find in Jesus. So turn your eyes upon him this morning and you will find what your heart is truly seeking. Let me pray for us. Father, we we are a people who are seeking after hope and love and significance and comfort and happiness in life. And we seek it in all kinds of different sources. Some of them on the surface good, some of them very clearly bad, some of them destructive even. But our hearts are on an endless quest for hope. And as, as we're seeking, I pray that each one of us would turn, as Mary Magdalene did, and see Jesus standing there. And even though we have all kinds of misconceptions about him and we get a whole lot wrong about him, he is the one who finds us. And because of that, we receive what we could never attain, a place with you, unchanging love, and an unshakable mission. So Father, I pray that you would drive those truths deep into our hearts, that we would rejoice in the risen Jesus, that we would turn to him once again in faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. Let's, Let's respond to the word of the Lord through song.